Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, Memories and Stories of Irish Jesuits in Hong Kong. I'm Morris O'Keefe. And while I was working on an oral history project recording the children of the Irish revolutionaries who played a central role in events leading up to Easter week 1916, I discovered that Father Joseph Mallon, a Jesuit priest in Hong Kong, was the son of Michael Mallon, one of the leaders in the 1916 Rising and executed after the rebellion. So for that reason, I travelled to Hong Kong to record Father Joseph's story for our 1916 oral history collection. And I found him to be a fascinating interviewee. And not only the story of his own father, but also his Jesuit life experience as a missionary in the region since 1948. And I was fortuitous to be there because... I also discovered that the Jesuits who now remain in Hong Kong each had a most interesting story to tell themselves about their own mission in Hong Kong, and all of whom were there for well over a half a century. And they came from all over Ireland, both north and south, to their mission in Hong Kong. They grew up in the so-called bald side um went to school in St. Columns College in Derry, uh, joined the society. So I wrote and asked, could I come to Hong Kong? And as soon as the Irish missionaries arrived, they were easily noticed in the crowd. We had white suits, actually. And, of course, the white gown. We, we would stand out in the crowds just by the fact that you were a Westerner. And the numbers of Irish Jesuits in those days were far greater and they brought with them all the training they received in their preparation before they left for their mission. And when I came out first, we had about um, 15 or 16 Jesuit teachers in each school. They also gave the students freedom, and that was the Irish Jesuit missionaries' legacy in Hong Kong. When I ask, I can't understand how our past students are so loyal and so generous, and they really are. And I say, why? And they say, <laughs> because you gave us freedom. And having no fear of the Chinese schools and taking part in the students' movement in the 1960s. 
But I was teaching that college and I was literally thrown out of it, you know. Why? The student movement began there. And also taking part in the media to promote lively debates on the radio. Yeah, there was quite a, a liveliness that I, I tapped into. Yeah. Well, I tapped into it in a sense. So this was the... It was 1967-68. There was a lot happening politically in Hong Kong in the 1960s with well-organised marches by the Democrats. And the Cultural Revolution yeah. that spilled over into Hong Kong. Yeah. Those were difficult days. And the Jesuits in Hong Kong also got involved in environmental issues, which became a very hot topic in the 1970s. And if that isn't enough, I've become the number one environmentalist. So let's get started. I first spoke to Father John Russell, who arrived in Hong Kong in the 1950s, and I asked him to fill me in on the background of the Irish Jesuits in Hong Kong and the college there. I was born in Dublin. Father John Russell here in Wahian uh, <laughs> college. college. Okay, I got that. The light should come on when the door opens. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's, it's. Oh, now it's coming on. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. Come on, okay. Oh, oh, da 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 da. Moment, Okay, Okay. Oh well, these only it's a small section. These are the headmasters yeah. of uh, the college. Yes, and uh, looking at the principles of the college. You knew all these men oh, yes, here. Yes, indeed. Um, who are the ones now that... This is the founder. A layman who founded the college in 1919. Then he had a large family and he was, a, he was the secretary of St. Joseph's College, which is another Catholic school in Hong Kong. Now, he was a Chinese man. Ch- oh, yes. Oh, yes. And his name was... Was, was Choi. Choi Yang. Yang Sa. That's where the, yeah, they, 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 the, the, he came from a place in China called Nwa. Nwa. Yeah. And that, that the Wa is the first, uh, first word of the college. And his last name, Yang, is the second. That's the origin of the, na- of the school's name. And in 32, they handed it over to the Jesuits. He wanted us. He wanted English-speaking priests to come out and start a, a hostel for Catholic students. There. Who was the first Jesuit priest that came out here? This is um, Gallagher. He uh, took over uh, in 32. He was the first person to uh, first Jesuit take over. Did you know him? Uh, yeah, oh yes. Oh, yeah. He lived on till he lived on till mid 50s, I think. He must have been well, he was a pioneering oh, uh, pioneering, sure, sure. Jesuit sure, out here sure, at the time. Sure, sure. And so it was all it must have been extremely the takeover and the new uh, Irish Jesuits coming yes. out here. Did, did he ever talk about those very beginning early days? Well, uh, he, 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 they say that when the, the day the school opened, he told the, uh, the Jesuits who were on the staff just to, to move around. Move around. That's his, his, his mission to them. <laughs> Nothing more than that. Yeah. 
There was a certain amount of opposition at the beginning, these foreigners coming and taking over the school, but that went away very quickly. And he's, his uh, time as principal of the school was up until 1940. Yeah. And then you had... And then you, there was then your father, Eddie Burke. And he was from 1940 to, to 1948. During the war period, when the Japanese were, were here. Now, was he imprisoned by the Japanese, um, do you know? There were a few of them were uh, detained for a short while because they couldn't, the Japanese couldn't distinguish between British and Irish. Then it was pointed out that we were neutral and then they released uh, them from detention. And the school went on during the... But luckily um, uh, the Japanese surrendered at a critical time because when... Looking over the harbour, and there were people on top of the school cheering as the American bombers came in, <laughs> and that didn't sit well with the Japanese. And they were going to do something to the school, and then uh, the, the end of the war came. I went on to ask Father John Russell about his memories of the Cultural Revolution spreading down from China. During the Cultural Revolution, yeah. that spilled over into Hong Kong. Yeah. Those were difficult days. But since then, there'd be no, no riots. Yeah. And every 1st of July, there was a march organized by the Democrats. And you'd have 50,000, 60,000, 100,000. One famous march, 500,000. And, you know, you'd have people with, with, with their prams and their child in the pram marching down the street. Absolutely no danger, no... Yes. <laughs> we were kind of a peaceable kind of people. Father Joseph Mallon was the oldest surviving Jesuit priest in Hong Kong, and he spent most of his life there. I first spoke to him about he, the many years of preparation a Jesuit must do before his assignment to another country. The life of, of a Jesuit priest... Mm. Uh, uh, it, it must have been um, pioneering days for you because uh, you were born in 1913. Yeah. Uh, so can you uh, take me through those years? Yeah. Your formation, yeah. where, where did that happen? Well, same names. And immediately at 1932, my mother died. Uh, Seamus was away, couldn't find him. Uh, so we said Mrs. Stagg and then I entered the Jesuits then that August is the after the Congress yeah. and then the Jesuits on first of all of course we have two years first preparation down in the middle of the country there and then back to Dublin for the university after that back to the middle of the country to do philosophy there around Tullamore, near Tullamore. After that, you go on to theology. You know, you I, well because you go to the Regency in Galway. Three years, a great three years, and uh, during the war, they say I was in Galway there, and we're very much isolated from the country there, and if that's at the end of that three years, I go back to Dublin to. Theology, yeah. and uh, theology that is one more year at the beginning, and by that time you're about 32 or 31. 
after that, uh, when that year is over, back in Dublin, there, in Raffarum Castle, then off to China. Yeah, that's it. And so your appointment to China uh, was in what year? That would have been 1948. I came out here. Okay, just after the war. Yeah. So the the, uh, the occupation here by by the Japanese uh, yes. was something that you you missed all that. Yes, yeah, I missed all that. They say it was in Ireland all the time. Father Joseph's assignment was to Canton on the mainland of China, but first arrived in Hong Kong. I came through Hong Kong, right into a typhoon. <laughs> I was in charge as well to see things. Uh, Canton was in a terrible state, all right. There, very poor. There, it was pretty harder on the others than on me. Because they had homes, you know, and I hadn't sit at the bell where I was. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> with a great court man there, who's famous from here to India, all right, Ned Sullivan. Yeah. <laughs> there. He, he come out with the most outrageous things. He wrote a diary, I think it's kept under cover. <laughs> In 1945, Hong Kong had been liberated by the British and Chinese troops, and it returned to British rule. And interestingly, Father Joseph wouldn't sign the paper saying that he was an imperialist, which made it very difficult for the Irish Jesuits there at the time. And especially with the Chinese Communist Party in the 1950s launching a campaign to reconstruct the country. When Mao Zedong and that crowd came down there in Hong Kong, we'd come down, my group, because we were told to get out since we were only studying. My contemporary, Canis Egan, from the route of the Dublin, he was landed in jail law. One thing they would not sign was, we are, com- we are imperialists. <laughs> That's the what you sign, the rubbish. So the whole mix-up about getting things up to China. <laughs> the, the, man in China the man in charge of the railways was a great friend of ours. There, I liked him very much. He was... Um, special arrangements for us to get up because I had 22 big things of luggage to get up Uh, but communication broke down uh, through misjudgment of one person not at fault anyway we got the train but he'd forgotten about we were to go up there and he hadn't reserved anything the trains were packed roof and all nearly all right so McGovern, who's here, out here, he put the, he sat on that thing because if he didn't do it, it would disappear out the windows. There, we got up to Guangzhou. That uh, we, we hadn't got the address. They moved the building. They had the address, but didn't know. One of us was one of them younger than me, not a priest at that time. He wasn't. Uh, knew the address, so he had enough Chinese. Chinese to go and find the house, bring the truck down. We were stuck down. I learned my first lesson in Chinese was Jowla, which I clear off. I was Dick McCarthy, what we call the taxi, we thought we were just trying, trying to get the low price. Father Joseph and the other Jesuit missionaries travelling with him arrived in Ganzhou City in the southern region of China. And that's where he started to learn to speak Cantonese. 
It's on the outskirts. It's into the city now. There, just at the edge of the city. Going to the university every day on bicycles. The police were decent. It was all right because the use. In fact, we had Chinese. Not I at that time, but the others. Yeah. Some of the others. It means a whole lot, you know. You can talk to them. Law and order started to break down there. So Father Joseph was put in charge to travel by night boat down to Hong Kong. Well, I was told to move the uh, group down to Hong Kong. So it was again in charge. <laughs> short times things. I came down the night boat. The captain gave me. Now, when you go into the ship, before the ship dealt out, they close the gates round the bridge and round the, uh, the thing. Yeah. Otherwise, some of the passengers come out with the guns and take over the ship. That was a common thing. But she they belong now. They broke down, you know. It was breaking down. There. So he came down. I, I, I was up on the bridge there enjoying the journey down. Now that the um, ship, one, big ship, Dick Kenny, whom I mentioned earlier, went down to the people who had arranged with the shipping people. There, he knew them. There, bring me down. He was the man who was the Japanese had for a long time. He said, "How did you not go down the other night?" Uh, oh, we were delayed. We were delayed. What had happened? The other ship had been, had it was a, a bomb in the r- river. Blew it, blew it up. Oh, the, plenty of people died of that one. <laughs> but we weren't in that ship. Father Joseph was to spend most of his missionary years in Wahyang College in Hong Kong, and he found it amazing to think that his first passage home in 1966, for the commemorations of the Easter Week Rising 1916, uh, was paid for by the British authorities. Uh, Jack of all trades and master of none. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, you were you were principal of the school of the school. Yeah, uh, I was never principal of the school. Were you not? No, no. no. Okay. See, I'm not never fully into education. I only got one. If you're four years teaching, constantly you get uh, home leave paid by the government. I got it once, and I was amused. It was 1940, 1962, I think, 61. I was yeah. 62, and uh, uh, Kunigan and wanted me on the TV or. Uh, and the question we asked, who paid for your passage? The British government, <laughs> I would say, to 1966. <laughs> what do you recall about those year, that year? I recall that everybody in Ireland here was, uh, I was back. Why? Because the first thing held was in Kilmainham Jail. And outside, and we all, my brother Seamus Sean, and more, and I was there. And that, then they put the camera on me because the cameraman had been out in Hong Kong <laughs> and the camera swept round. I saw it on the television. <laughs> That's the first thing I remember. Oh, you didn't come to visit us. Father Alfred Dagnan had an outstanding career as an educator and a humanitarian. He arrived in Hong Kong in 1953 and he spoke first here about his background and his early days on his assignment. A small village called Muller in County Cavan. And uh, my parents, well, my father had uh, a business there with uh, also two farms. So we're, 
we were basically the farmers but some business as well and uh, there were 12 of us in the family oh, where did you fit in? sixth, I was sixth in the family how many survive today out of those? there are five of us left yeah and I'm the eldest <laughs> when you first came out here did you have any idea what you were getting yourself into well of course we would have heard from others who also had come out ahead of us we'd have heard something from them but it's not you don't really realize it until you experience it so I remember my first experience of the heat was of course on the ship because we came out by ship 27 days but uh, on the ship you were just sitting there and you start to sweat you, you don't have to do anything where, whereas in Ireland you have to do something to, to sweat <laughs> everything was strange to us really uh, the language uh, the food the weather different kind of uniform or not uniform but yes uh, well um, we had white suits actually and of course the white gown and when I came out first we had about um, 15 or 16 Jesuit teachers in each school so you can imagine the impact that that had I mean here was Jesuits who had uh, had uh, received such a, a long preparation uh, who had studied in the university studied philosophy, theology I mean the richness of it and uh, that, that really made uh, or had a great influence on the students and they, they're so loyal now and they'll tell you we, we appreciate so much what you have done for us so it's, it's, it's a, a kind of a consoling thing that, you, that uh, this kind of uh, loyalty or attachment to the school we have a wonderful past students association Father Alfred discovered very quickly how poor the Chinese workers were. People were very poor, very poor. And, uh, for instance, uh, some of them would, I mean, those who could work, some of them were doing two jobs in order to support the family. And then they were doing uh, uh, work, what do they call it, uh, the factory would give them the material and they'd do the work at home like uh, out in Chengzhou I remember one family just sitting around and they had a kind of a basket in the centre and each of them was rolling a matchbox making the matchbox to send it back to the factory and uh, I think they would get about five cents for a hundred very very so the people were very poor and I met one day uh, uh, a young fellow in the hospital <clears throat> and I asked him uh, uh, where are you working or are you working and he said yes I'm working I said uh, what do you get what wages do you get he said I don't get any and I said what do you how do you how do they pay you oh they said he gives me a bed space and feeds me yes so he's quite happy with that the 1970s was particularly difficult for the Jesuits in Hong Kong at that time due to the Cultural Revolution on the mainland of China spreading down. 
And Father Alfred Dagnan was warden of Ritchie Hall, a residence for male Catholic students in Hong Kong University. And he recalls the Red Guard and what was happening on the streets at that time. You had the Red Guard, and here in 1975, I think it was, you had riots here. In, they were uh, riots which, uh, um, where they set, put out bombs, and uh, the police had a very tough time because they marched, and they had Mao's book with them. Uh, it was frightening to, he- to see them marching down the street and they sh- shouting this. And uh, one, one uh, incident, I remember, there were inter-school sports. We went to the inter-school sports. So they had uh, communist schools, actually, that time. Now, the communist schools were literally for people in Hong Kong who had businesses in China. And so in order to to do their business, they had to uh, go to that school. But uh, one school, communist school, is just beside us here. And they used to glare out on the the top of the roof. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that time, uh, it was a tough time for Hong Kong that time. I next spoke to Father Kieran Kane and I asked him where he came from and what year his assignment to Hong Kong started. I'm from Dublin. What part of Dublin? Clintoff. I first came in 58. You know yeah. I'm saying it was, it was March 50, March 58 that I was assigned here. Again, in those days you were assigned. Yeah. Uh, what, you, what were you assigned to do? Uh, uh, where were you staying here? Well, it was question. Well, the main thing was. You were assigned to a mission, Hong Kong. I was the only one assigned here. Two of my colleagues went to uh, three. Three of them went to Zambia, and two others went to Japan. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of in a group in that year. Uh, so that was a basic assignment. So the first thing, coming here, the first thing was the language school, yeah. which was where I am now, actually, the <laughs> this island... Uh, Father Kieran Keane took charge of the students' hostel in the university in Hong Kong. And this was during the time of the students' rights. I took charge of a place like this, a student hostel. Again, at a time of ferment, of kind of very nationalistic ferment among students, which really came to a head, funny enough. That was, I started there in 72, the beginning of 72, and uh, this graduate from one of the first calls there was the, uh, at that stage also, the Diotoy Islands dispute with Japan. And students, of course, were very much into that. And then there was the thing about the language, Hong Kong language, that uh, it got reached a climax in 1976, I remember quite clearly. So much so that some uh, parents withdrew their, withdrew their kids from the university. We had them marching up and down, you know. 9th of September, everything stopped. That was the day Mao died, and it changed everything. Father Kieran's association with radio and television stations in Hong Kong lasted for many years and staged many lively debates amongst students. I started, if you like, 
my association with the radio station began in 1967. I'm talking to Father James Hurley here in Wyan College in the mainland of Hong Kong. Talk to me first about your background. Uh, where, where, what county man are you? County Waterford, Ardmore County Waterford. And what did missionary work kind of mean to you at the time when you were thinking about it? We got it, I suppose speak to the Chinese about Jesus, you know. That was probably the, the basic idea, you know. That's yeah. the idea. So we came out and we were we had two years of language studies. Yes. Yeah, on one of the islands of Hong Kong. The language school was originally in Canton, but then the communists came took over in Canton, so we had to get out of that. And they came to Hong Kong. And the Paris Foreign Missions had their headquarters in Hong Kong. Okay, and, uh, and then they gave us the top floor, free gratis and for nothing where we could study our Chinese. But then they sold the place to the government. So we had to get out. So then we get out and went where went where we went to the island in Changzhou, an island off the off the off the coast of Hong Kong. That and would have been in the fifties, early very yeah, early. There, there'd be, we went out there in January the first, nineteen fifty three. So it was there. How many Jesuit priests were with you? Eight, there were there were about four in my year, four seminarians and four years, four ahead of me. So there were eight seminarians and two or three priests, all learning the language. Uh, what was the attraction here? Well, the attraction was I'd already learned the language. I could use the language. I got to know China fairly reasonably well, you know. I wanted to come back. I didn't want to jettison that, you know. Yeah. I didn't want to jettison that under any circumstances. Right. Yeah, well, there was a question of whether I would come back to uh, Hong Kong or to Taiwan, because I was afraid of the kind of the the colonial setup here in Hong Kong. Why did that upset you? Well, it was connected with Irish history, I suppose. You know, I didn't want to be the place where uh, the people weren't their own rulers. Here in Hong Kong, it was ruled by the British. Father James Hurley took on many difficult roles during his years as a Jesuit missionary in Hong Kong. But there was an outlet for teaching also in other schools, in other post-secondary colleges, mainland universities from Hong Kong, from China, which came to Hong Kong. We had begun to teach there, so I volunteered for a job there, teaching English in a Chinese setup. But I was teaching that college, and I was eventually thrown out of it. You know why? The student movement began there. In Hong Kong, the student movement at the time it began in, in America and then it came to Hong Kong and it began very exactly in that college and I was deeply involved in that because I knew the leaders of the student movement they had come to me to consult me on various occasions so you joined forces with them well they were expelled some of them were expelled the leaders so called leaders were expelled and they came out to see me what could, what could they do so I said I would see the college authorities I was in charge of the foreign language department at that time I spoke to the authorities and they weren't very helpful. They were against the student movement at that time, you know. So it reached a stage where it got public. At that stage, I didn't want it to be very public. I didn't want to do it quietly. But the paper, the local Chinese papers got involved and published big, public, uh, big headlines about it, you know. What did the headlines say? Well, they said about this foreign, uh, foreign monk <laughs> being involved in this. My name wasn't given. 
I was told that it was a legal question. If my name was given, they could be sued legally. You know? I'd been chaplain to the students here in Hong Kong, and there was a vacancy for the chaplaincy at the agent level. There. And I, uh, Would I you say the Asian level? At the, at the Asian level, that is for Southeast Asia, oh, yes. Japan, Korea, and yes. all these countries. And they had to get the student, their headquarters were here in Hong Kong, their secretary was here in Hong Kong. So it was put to me, would I be the, uh, the Asian chaplain? Mm-hmm. Was asked, would I take the job? So then in the meantime, the Jesuits came in and said, we want you to be Master of Novices, the Jesuits. So that was the end of that. What did that role entail? Well, I had to take up the novice, the people who were joining the Jesuits, and look after them, do my best for them, you know? Yeah. Which are just two of them there, you know? So I spent some two years there, you know, with them, or some few years there with them, and then I left it. Then they left. They took their vows, went off, and no more novices came. So I was free. So I did something then which I wanted to do all along. I worked at a factory. What factory? Um, was this in, in mainland China? No, no, here in Hong Kong. Yes. There were a lot of factories here in Hong Kong at that time. They lived at the factories, making clothes. But you, did you do this undercover? Or did you do it no, I didn't, no, I got permission. I mean, obedience meant something to me, and I would ask the superior about this. Yes. Get permission for that. So I gave permission to work at that. So I worked for, for, as an ordinary worker yes. in the factories for two months. Two yeah. months, yes and coming back here at night to live here. What was the purpose of doing that? To get to know the worker situation. Because in the student movement, we talked about the social problems of Hong Kong, you know, the social problems. And one of the problems was the question of workers that were being exploited. I knew something about that. I wanted to experience it. So I went and experienced it, you know. Working with workers, cutting, 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 eight hours a day. Initially, immensely boring immensely boring. I find it very hard to put down the time, but eventually got used to it. And I just pray as well sometimes at the yeah. work, you know. Yeah. So I got to do it very well, yeah. So it was, it, was a, it was a quite experience. And then I came off and then somebody asked me to write it up. So I had kept the diary in the meantime. So I wrote it up and a German magazine took it and they published it in German. I have it here someplace in my room and uh, they gave me a sum of money for it which is more or less the equivalent of the salary of the pay I was getting in the, in the factory. <laughs> so so it, it, this was uh, for just two months? Then I repeated it a year yeah. later on in another factory. Yeah. Another factory. I'm talking to Father Sean Coughlin. Uh, Sean, we're here in Hong Kong. Uh, how long have you been in Hong Kong? I've been in Hong Kong for 48 years. I first came in 1959, and I was three years here as a, a scholastic and non, non-priest. And then I went back to Ireland and did theology and ordained for five years. And then I came back to Hong Kong in 1967, and I've been here since then. Your own background, Sean, uh, you're a, a county Limerick man? No, Limerick City. Limerick City, but my father was from County Limerick and my mother was from County Clare. So Limerick City, my father was in the post office for years and years and years and I was in a Jesuit school for nine years and I joined the Jesuits immediately after leaving Crescent College Limerick. The first two years, from the point of view of Hong Kong, we were living in a fool's paradise. 
Everything seemed absolutely wonderful with Hong Kong. China was millions of miles away. Hong Kong was a completely, I won't say arrogant, but uh, self-contained, very confident British colony. <laughs> but it was suddenly, just a couple of months before I went back to Ireland in summer 62, you had the big political upset in China. And in about three weeks, something like 100,000 Chinese people escaped from the persecution and the fighting and cut across the border. And then suddenly people began to wake up and say, oh dear, different world. But even when I came back in 67, for quite maybe another eight or ten years, we were still living in a kind of a, a, a world of our own. I mean Hong Kong. Yeah, did they, so describe that uh, British control at the yeah. time. I mean, was it... Um, oh, it was benign, very benign. Mm -hmm. Everybody was happy. They, there was plenty. There was, uh, there was good employment. People were happy enough. Things were... Uh, the British presence, they were, to be honest, they were not, they were not uh, excessively you know, authoritarian. Things were free and, free and easy enough. Was it very evident that uh, oh, the British evident. were oh, very evident, very evident. Yeah. In what way? In, now? in, in certain, I mean, in certain areas. Yeah. Say, well, you know, then, well, we were on Queen's Road East, for example. And that's very central here in the, yes. on the island. Yeah, Queen's Road East, Queen's Road Central, and Queen's Road West R run roughly from the extreme west at least to over towards the extreme east of the island. Yeah. And is that where it was all happening? Was that the, the well, centre of... I of, suppose of you could say government, around Government House and Government Buildings. Yes. And then the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. Yes. That would be very important. So big banking, big business, and we're great pals with the British government. And of course the same thing is now... Hong banking and big business are great pals with the Chinese government. Yes. Things don't change, you know, in a certain sense. <laughs> you probably witnessed a lot of the development um, in the building. I, I remember listening to Radio Hong Kong in March 1960, and the announcer, with great excitement, said the population of Hong Kong, according to the latest sentence, is, um, census is 3 million people. Now we're 7 million to 300,000, something like that. So there's been a corresponding increase, of course, in housing, and there's indeed enormous skyscrapers. So, um, well, it was a very busy city. 3 million is still nothing to be sniffed at, you know. It was a very busy city, and central Hong Kong would have had some big buildings, but nothing like the huge things we have now. Father Harl Nader grew up in the Middle East. He joined the Society of the Jesuits in Ireland and he was assigned to Waiyang College in Kowloon in 1967 and spent most of his life there teaching English. What year did you come here? 1960. And th that's a long time ago, you know, when you, you look at that's that's 50, that's a half a century ago. Yes. Uh, in have you been here all that time? Yes. How I mean, I've been in this house that long. Imagine, imagine that. So, 
can you tell me what uh, what your responsibilities were? What were you doing? Oh yeah, oh yeah, try, try. <clears throat> I'm a missionary for China. I'm a socialist. I'm not afraid of the communists. Three or four people that I lived here were in China and kicked out by the communists. You know. And you say you're going to China? I said yes. an idiot so um, what do I do oh bloody Harry Naylor I'm Harry in the society not Harold huh? put him in my hand to teach English so I just got a reward this year for 45 years teaching English in the school here So I teach Form 3. <clears throat> to what, what age group? 14-year-olds. And I don't want to do anything to do with the administration of the school. I teach my classes. But I work in ecumenism. And if that isn't enough, I've become the number one environmentalist. Mm -hmm. For different reasons. So I've had a very happy time here with the community, people like Jimmy um, and the school has always accepted me and given me great liberties. Yes. But I'm always a 14-year-old teacher of English and ethics. My last visit was to Father Sean O'Carroll Lawn, who was also the last to be assigned to Hong Kong, and sadly it's an end of an era, as there will be no more Irish Jesuit missionaries sent to Hong Kong. Father Sean O'Carroll Lawn, uh, here in Hong Kong, uh, we're in a, an apartment, a pretty noisy apartment that you're living in here. You were the, one of the last of the Jesuit priests to be appointed to I was Hong Kong. Little, uh, Basically the last one. The one after me didn't stay here, he went back. Your time here in Hong Kong, when did you first come here? I came on the... I arrived on the 16th of August 1964 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, if you want to be exact. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your, your background then. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the so-called bald side... Um, I went to school in St. Columns College in Derry. Uh, some schoolmates were people like Seamus Heaney, John Hume. Uh, then, of course, then the so-called 1947 Act came in, Education Act, gave us Catholics free education. So I was one of the early ones. I, I guess I was about the second year to go to college on that scheme, the the qualifying exam and uh, so I was in St. Collins for six years uh, and then I joined the society so I wrote and asked could I come to Hong Kong uh, I volunteered to come to Hong Kong uh, and it was accepted and why did you choose to want to come here then? well we had the two missions that say Zambia and Oh, yes. and Hong Kong so um, in all this length of time uh, had you returned home or did you no no you'd left home and that was it that was it 
did you miss not wanting to go? I mean, was were you, or was it part of the mindset to to leave and? Well, that was part of my mindset, at least, that when I left Derry, I I knew it would be 14 years before I would get back to Derry. That was my thinking. Uh, Not too long before I left, I said this to my father and mother. It was quite a shock for them because they thought, well, seven years you ordained a priest. I was saying, no, no, not not for Jesuits, no. Yeah, it's much Actually, one night, my mother said to me, would you not think of, a, of an easier order? And I, I kind of said, well, uh, I did kind of think about the Cistercians. Let's stop the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, my father wrote to me once, uh, and he said, they have walked on us for the last time, and we are standing up now, and God help them. Now, in 1956, on the border campaign, the IRA border campaign, my father said to me, look, we can't solve this by guns anymore. It has to be done by politics. And then in 1969, he said, God help them, we're standing up now. So So politics went by the board and then... Well, like at that stage, I mean, the the RUC had beaten politics into the ground, basically. But like Martin McGuinness lived across the street from us. You know, so, I mean, every time after the words when I went back, I, I would visit Martin's mother. And two weeks ago, Martin was sitting in that chair where you're sitting now, because he came out as first minister, deputy first minister, came out with Peter Robinson to Shanghai, down to Hong Kong. Of course, then he met some Irishmen at the Irish Chamber of Commerce, one of my Irish friends who brought him here. Of course, he had to come and see me. He said he could never face my family if you didn't come and see me. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast, Memories and Stories of Irish Jesuit Priests in Hong Kong. My name is Maurice O'Keefe, and if you would like to access any of these interviews, you can do so by going to our webpage, that's irishlifeandlore.com. And I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.